open up to Matthew chapter 7. If not, it'll be up here on the screen or on your phone, whatever you use. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. It says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. You've heard it. Judge not, lest you be judged, right? For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So we're continuing this series, How to Defend Your Faith and Stay Friends. How to defend your faith and stay friends. And it's based on a, basically a, a Facebook conversation between myself and an old friend. Her name is Emily. And uh, we were friends in youth group. Our spiritual paths have gone in two different directions. And so we, about 30, we, we were friends in high school. And then 30 years later, she uh, Facebooked me to Facebook friends. We started talking. I found out that she wasn't, uh, she, would, she wouldn't say she's an atheist, um, but she has those views. She doesn't believe in a, in a God. And so we were going back and forth the last eight years. It's turned into a book. It's out at Wise Words if you'd like it. It kind of goes through a lot of the arguments we're going through now. Um, we're just starting here, guys. Uh, we're going to go for the next two months. We're going to hit a lot of topics. So why does God allow suffering and all those things that you're asking? So we're going to take our time through this series. But uh, that's the foundation of the series, a Facebook conversation going back and forth between myself and my friend Emily. Now, one of the roadblocks that we run into when we're trying to share our faith is this idea of, um, of judgment, okay? Um, and when we're trying to talk to our friends or our, our co-workers, our neighbors, um, our family members, you know, here comes Thanksgiving and Christmas and you're going to have people coming in from out of town. You get around the table and you're trying to talk. And one of the things that really becomes difficult when we do that is this idea of judgment, this idea, the perception that Christians and basically Christians alone, Christians alone are always being judgmental. Right? We're always being judgmental. Have you ever pointed out to someone, maybe you're at work, and someone is maybe having an affair with a married person in their office, and you pointed out to that person um, that you believe that's probably not the right thing to do. It's going to end up harming you. What does that person come back and say? Well, Jesus said, judge not lest ye be judged. Right? That's what you hear. You point something out that may want, you may want to protect someone. You may just think it's completely wrong. You may, you may be concerned that it's going to destroy these people's families. And so you say, you bring that up and you get, well, Jesus said, judge not lest ye be judged. So there it is, right? There it is. No one can ever judge anyone on any subject ever again because Jesus said, judge not lest ye be judged. So basically, here's the thing. Um, the next time, the next time you're, uh, you're driving 50 in a 20 and you get pulled over by a police officer, you just say to that police officer, and when he hands you, he says, I want your license your registration. Don't do that. Just get a pen out and say, right on there, judge not lest you be judged and hand it to him. Because he's judging you. Right? You're going fast in a car. You're allowed to go. You should be able to go fast in a car. You should just tell that, that, that guy, judge not, lest ye be judged. I think we should shut down our court system completely. A lot of people are judging people in court. I don't know about this. All right? The ne- I have one. The next time you get in late and your parents ground you for breaking an established curfew, you just look your parents, especially your dad. Focus on your dad. Look your dad right in the eye and you say, 
Well, Dad, judge not, lest ye be judged. And shake your head like this, too. And maybe roll your eyes at him, too, while you're saying it, okay? That'll, that, that'll, that'll go over really well. Apply this principle, if you will, to the um, Supreme Court hearings. Think about this for a second. They're judging the judge. Now the whole country is judging the judge. Do, do, do you see the lunacy in the way of, in this way of thinking in the real world? That's, I, I really want you to, this is so important for me to help you understand. As you go, as we go through these arguments, and people will come up with certain arguments about this topic or that topic, go in your mind, bring it into the real world, okay, that you live in every single day. Do you understand the lunacy that, that this, this concept, if you will, when people say, well, judge not, you shouldn't judge, no one should judge, anybody judge, it's, it's like you can't, you can't do it at all. No one should ever do that. It's wrong to, to make judgments on things. Can you imagine trying to live, in, you cannot, it cannot be lived out, it cannot be lived out by anyone without living in complete and utter and total hypocrisy. You've never met anyone who could try to live that out in their real lives, in the real world, who's not a complete and utter hypocrite when they try to do it. It's, not, it's just not possible. So what was Jesus teaching us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and verse 2? What was, what was Jesus trying to teach us? Before I explain that, I want to get, before I explain what exactly, basically what Jesus was saying, what he was trying, what he was saying here, what, he, what it actually, what that verse actually means. I want to get back to the conversation that I'm having with Emily because she lays out some of these same arguments about truth and about judgment. In an earlier conversation, you made the point that people will often say your truth is your truth because you believe it. Personally, I would agree with that. Emily, my truth is my truth because Jesus said it. Because God has written his moral laws on my heart. It doesn't matter what time period I live in, what culture says, or what I feel. But take that one step further. Does your truth deny another's understanding of truth? Does your truth lead you to judge others? First, the law of non-contradiction states that a truth's opposite cannot also be true. The question of truth is not a feelings question or a win-win opportunity. You can have since you can be very sincere about your position, but be sincerely wrong. When searching for truth, people shouldn't end up in two different places. When truth becomes self-determined, it ceases to be truth and becomes opinion. Does my truth lead me to judge others? No, it doesn't. I may disagree with your view of truth, but that does not cause me to judge you for it. I can make judgment based on my beliefs without becoming another person's judge. I can disagree with you and still be tolerant of your views. In fact, to be tolerant, there must be a difference of opinion. I don't understand how people say they're being tolerant when they totally agree with the other person's views. Everyone is tolerant by that definition. And help me with this line of thinking. You talk as if Christians are the only ones in the world who pass judgment. I'm not saying that Christians never do. But give me a break. Uh, have you read Dawkins, Hitchens, Harris, Nietzsche, Russell? My gosh. 
In his book, Letter to a Christian Nation, Sam Harris writes, The truth is that many who claim to be transformed by Christ's love are deeply, even murderously, intolerant of criticism. While we may not want to ascribe this to human nature, it is clear that such hatred draws considerable support from the Bible. Now, would you say Harris is being tolerant of those he's judging? (laughs) Uh, Christopher Hitchens writes of Mother Teresa, She spent her life opposing the only known cure for poverty, which is the empowerment of women and the emancipation of them from a livestock version of compulsory reproduction. Christopher H. is judging Mother Teresa. Wow. When I googled Christopher Hitchens, I found no examples of him empowering women, but a lot of examples of women speaking out against him. The whole judgmental attitude argument is frustrating, to say the least. Christians are attacked, ridiculed, and belittled all the time in our culture and killed in others. Over 171,000 Christians were martyred each year, and no one ever talks about it. It's open season on believers, and no one cares. I'm not looking for sympathy, just an honest discussion of the facts. The difference is I can disagree with you and still love you, defend you, and lay down my life for you. I have and will continue to defend the rights of others to express their views, even when those views are in opposition to my own. Well, does your truth justify discrimination against homosexuals, Muslims, Hindus, Wiccans, and non-believers? No. That is, unless you call disagreement on one's own beliefs discrimination. Discrimination is defined as unfair treatment of a person or group on the basis of prejudice. So the answer is without question no. I have helped and befriended Muslims and Hindus, homosexuals, witches and warlocks. I don't agree with most of their beliefs or choices, but that does not keep me from loving them. If if I stopped loving and helping people I disagreed with, I'd be out of a job. My understanding is that a believer's answer to all of these questions is a resounding yes. Meanwhile, I think that most atheists would say no to all of the above. They may throw a delusional insult or two along the way, but generally, there's no framework in place for evangelistic activities. Maybe they don't care, or perhaps they concede it's a bit of a lost and unimportant cause. Wow. How can you make such a claim? Harris and Dawkins, just to name two, spend most of their waking hours aggressively pushing their worldview. A delusional insult or two along the way? (laughs) Have you listened to these men? Nietzsche considered the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 to be a damning approach to life. He said they emphasized the responsibility of man toward the poor and weak of society. According to him, a society driven by such an ethic is in effect controlled by the losers. So, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who are hungry and thirsty, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those who are persecuted are, from his perspective, unworthy examples of what make up a good society. (laughs) They think pushing their worldview is an unimportant cause No way. They're passionate about eradicating a worldview based on God. Richard Dawkins wrote, 
Only the willfully blind could fail to implicate the divisive force of religion in most, if not all, of the violent entities in the world today. You say they have no framework for those activities? What? How about the print and electronic media and most public universities? Most public universities are filled with teachers who ridicule students who believe in God. Dawkins wanted to deny access to Oxford University to anyone who held a creationist worldview. Come on, they may not use the same terminology, but please don't pretend that atheists don't push their worldview. Please don't tell me that they're just tolerant, open-minded, free-thinking, compassionate do-gooders who sit around all day and sing, All we are saying is give peace a chance. Does your truth tell you that belief in Jesus is the only entry into heaven? John 3.16. Yes. Jesus said clearly in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That is what Jesus said. If I were to say anything to the contrary, I would be a hypocrite. It also says God desires that none would perish, but all come to repentance. It's God's heart that we all spend eternity with him. He came to earth and sacrificed himself because of his love for us. He will give every opportunity for people to respond. And I think we'll be surprised who we will see in heaven. Emily, I have a few questions. Do you believe that it's right that... People will be abused, starved, raped, and murdered without finding justice? Do you believe that child molesters and mass murderers will go unpunished now, as many do, and never face judgment? Is that fair? Is that moral, right, or just? Is it fair that the weak are oppressed by the strong throughout history? Where is the justice left to man? Injustice will continue unchecked or enforced only as some people see fit. I trust God to bring judgment and justice, not man. If you're right, my goodness, what a horror for billions. I guess it's all in how you view the universe. Does your truth tell you that you should pray for others to see the light as if they are in the dark? Does your truth tell you that some are condemned to hell and suffering? Does it teach you that some are saved while others are left behind? Does your truth tell you that Jesus will come again and pass judgment upon mankind? The answer to these questions is yes. I guess if I'm deciding who to believe, Jesus or Darwin, Harris, Dawkins, Rus Russell or Nietzsche, etc., I'll take Jesus. And, and wasn't it the atheist Bertram Russell who said that without God, people are in darkness? He wrote... Brief and powerless is man's life. On him and all his race, the slow, sure doom falls pitiless and dark. So, here's the thing. Even in my debate with Emily, we are making judgments about the other person's worldview. Is, is when she's asking those things, is she not asking those questions with a judgmental thought process with the way she's writing? Yeah, she's judging me. She's making judgments. So here, here's, here's what we need to do. We need to ask ourselves, when Jesus was saying this in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1, 
Did Jesus mean his followers to never challenge, never challenge anyone's behavior? Think about that. So Jesus says, judge not lest ye be judged, okay? For the way you judge, you'll be judged, it'll be judged unto you. So is Jesus saying that we as his followers should never judge anyone else's or make judgments about anyone else's behavior? What someone is actually doing? What someone is saying to someone else? Are we never to point that out? Or when you see something happening, if you see something that you think is wrong and you think that's, are you to just mind your own? Is that what Jesus was saying? Mind your own business. Judge not lest ye be judged. So whatever you see, wherever you see it, whatever anyone says, whatever anyone else does in this world, you just need to mind your own business. Well, if that's what he was saying, which he wasn't, how then can we share the gospel? How do you share the gospel? How do you share any truth at all if you can't point out sinful behavior? How are you going to share any type of truth whatsoever if you can't point out sinful behavior? How is that going? How does that work? I want to share the gospel with someone. The moment I get to the point where telling you, everyone here, I'm going to say this, I'm going to judge every single person here, including myself and the two people sitting right next to me, okay? You're sinners. Every single one of you. I'm a sinner. I'm making a judgment that we're all sinners and we're separated at some point in our lives. We're separated from God. That is the gospel. That's why Jesus had to come. How then do I share the gospel, the love of God that he's reached out to you and wants to bring you back into relationship with him if I cannot point out the fact that we are sinners and we have sinful behavior? And here's the thing. At what point... Here's the important question. At what point does it become the type of judgment that Jesus is basically condemning, that he's challenging? Because he is challenging a type of judgment here. Judge not lest ye be judged is exactly what he's saying. And it means something very specific. And every single one of us do this. But at what point, at what point in in our conversation, at what point in our hearts, does this type of judgment, this type of judgment, become the kind of judgment that Jesus condemns or that Jesus challenges in this passage? See, here's the thing. Here's what I'm talking about. People use this verse in a defensive posture. That's what they do. Most people don't know the Bible. Okay, but they know this verse. They don't know where it's found, but they know it. Okay, and they use it in a defensive posture. When someone points out wrongdoing in their lives, regardless of who it is, when someone points, especially if it's someone who's religious or is a believer, okay, when someone points out wrongdoing in their lives, they fire back with Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Shut down the whole conversation. You can't judge me. Instead of self-reflection, when you point out something in my life, when I point out something in your life, some wrongdoing, some we're drifting off a path, iron sharpens iron as one person sharpens another. When we do that to each other, what we should have is self-reflection. But instead of self-reflection, the question is, where am I wrong? Where is my behavior wrong? Instead of that, people turn the tables on their accusers and accuse them of wrongdoing. 
So you point out something in my life, and instead of self-reflecting and saying, where am I wrong in this situation? How can I grow? I don't do that. I just say, judge not lest you be judged. And I turn it on the accuser, the person accusing me of doing something wrong, and accuse them of wrongdoing because they're judging me. Where does that, where does that leave you? Again, it leaves you in a world that you, a worldview where you cannot live. You cannot live according to that worldview. People don't use their minds when they think through these things sometimes, when they use these things sometimes. So what, you got to ask yourself, okay, you, you, we all know, m- most of us here would, would say that they've read their Bibles before, and they've heard what Jesus has said before in other circumstances, and other situations, right? So you you've pretty much have a little bit of a background. Do you think this is what Jesus intended, the way he intended this passage to be used by people, by whether it's Christian or non? Do you think that's the way Jesus wanted his words to be used? Think about this. Do you think that Jesus intends for people to use his words as a shield? Because that's what we're talking about here. The moment you step up and you say to someone, you point, you, you make a judgment on someone's behavior or someone's words or someone's actions, whatever it may be, okay? Do you think that, that, that Jesus intended for his words to be used as a shield against any time, any type of personal rebuke or moral correction? Is that what Jesus was actually saying here in these verses? Because we are, many, all of you, almost all of you have heard that before. Many of you have been in situations where you say something and that's what's pretty much fired back. And then you're kind of like standing there going, oh man, well, am I judging? Is that wrong? Should I not say anything else? Boom, shuts it down. They throw that out and they shut it down right there. So the question that we need to answer This is a very important question. I'm laying some of these theological points out during this series because these are roadblocks that we run into. We try to share with someone. They throw things like that out and it kind of shuts the conversation down because you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to be intolerant or judgmental or any of these negative, you know, all these, all these isms. You don't want to be anything like that. So it just kind of shuts the conversation down. So what I want to do is teach you what did Jesus actually mean? What did Jesus actually mean when he said that? And I'm going to tell you. And when am I going to tell you? Next week. All right, now you're all mad at me. But you got to come back next week. I'm going to say one last thing here too. I see empty seats here. Okay? This is a phenomenal... We talked about this in the very beginning. This is a phenomenal series, okay, to invite people to. And we have just begun We have just begun. Some of the harder subjects, some of the more intense subjects, we're going to get to those. So make sure you're praying about who you'd like to invite. Because we'd love the opportunity to have them here and then have them ask those questions. Set up times that we can just answer some of those questions. So make sure that you're praying about who you're going to invite to the series. And next week, we'll give you the, what did Jesus actually mean when he said, Judge not, lest ye be judged. And on to chapter, and verse 2, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. And Lord, I, I just want to pause. Um, and I want to pray for our country. This, this whole series is very timely in the history of our nation. Lord God, it, it seems for, for whatever reason, um, our country is being ripped to pieces 
not just through the, the, the hearing for the Supreme Court, but Lord God, in every area of our, our lives, we're being pitted against each other. People have lost the ability, Lord, to, to just dialogue with one another, to, to have open and honest conversations without getting so angry that they want to harm someone else. Father, we're in, a, we're in a culture where we don't even want to hear another person's opinion. And it's getting violent sometimes. And Lord God, the hatred is becoming overwhelming. We're so divided. God, I pray with all of my heart, we pray as the body of Christ, we pray that you would help us that we would be able to share our faith. And if people ask us questions, to be ready to defend, to, to defend our faith, but with gentleness and respect. I pray, dear God, that it would start in this room. That as we leave here, when we talk to one another, when we talk to people outside in the world, and we share our view, we share it with love, we share it with dignity, we share it with respect, we share it with kindness and mercy and openness to hearing the other person's perspective. Lord, we may not agree with their perspective, but in listening and actively listening to what they're trying to say and why they're saying it, we can learn something. And maybe, Lord God, instead of the hatred, the intense hatred that we're finding in our culture today, that we would respond in love. can still have our views, Lord God. We're going to hold to your word, period. But we need to do it in a loving and compassionate and merciful way. So I pray, dear God, in some miraculous way, that you would speak to the hearts of this nation and you would help us once again to get back to the place where we can dialogue in, in, in a way that is open and, and friendly and kind. It's, it's, a scary, it's a scary time, Lord God. And we need your help. And if it's going to happen, it needs to start with us. So give us that strength. Give us that wisdom. Give us that discernment. Give us that patience. And give us that intense love. Give us that intense love for sometimes those we, we don't seem to like very much, what their views may be, but give us a love for them. We love you, we praise you, we thank you for this time, Lord, that we can spend together learning and applying what we learn. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory for everything you're going to do through this series in our hearts and the hearts of those that we get to speak with. We pray it all in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great week.